0: The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand.
1: Hello and welcome to ILTV's Zion News on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, Argentina officially cancels its friendly soccer match in Israel. A passionate man gives the Knesset a cannabis trial by fire. And prepare yourself for the sweetest Guinness World Record of all time. Argentina's National Soccer Club has just cancelled its friendly match with Israel this weekend, buckling under what appears to be intense international pressure as well as security concerns. That means superstar Lionel Messi won't be coming to Israel after all, and apparently not even Prime Minister Netanyahu himself could salvage the game. Argentina's national team was originally set to play this friendly warm-up match against Israel's team in Haifa before heading out to compete in the 2018 World Cup. But it wasn't until the Israeli government moved the match to Jerusalem that the situation became somewhat messy. Palestinians immediately accused Israeli leaders of politicizing the game by moving it to Jerusalem, and announced that they'd burn Messi jerseys if the game went ahead. On top of this, it soon emerged that culture and sports minister Miri Regev made a cash deal with the government to fund the move to Jerusalem in exchange for photo ops with Messi on the field. This is in addition to allegations that Regev's ministry actually only put up 10,000 game tickets for sale to the public out of 30,000, the rest being reserved for various government entities, NGOs, and corporate sponsors. For Palestinians, this cancellation is a massive win, perhaps one of the biggest wins for BDS supporters. But Palestinian leaders say they had no problem with the game when it was scheduled in Haifa, where Israeli and Arab soccer fans routinely gather. Despite this, Messi and his family do say they receive death threats against playing the game at all, but at the end of the day, Israelis are mostly devastated to see the match fall apart. Prime Minister Netanyahu called Argentina's president to try and intercede, but President Macri told him that the ball was no longer on his side of the field. Here now with more on the cancellation of the Argentina-Israel friendly is journalist at the sports channel Sport5, Gil Barak partner at Rimon Cohen and company PR, Benny Cohen, and ILTV correspondents Joy Gavijon and Nori Lizaraga. Thank you all very much for coming in. But my first question, I'll, I'll start over here on the side, you know, wh- what do you think the actual root cause of the cancellation was? We'll start with you.
2: You know what? Uh, let me lower the flames a little, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I think that the, the whole thing got out of proportion. Um, you know, people are noticing what happening, what's happening in the uh, northern border of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tension uh, it 's not the the most peaceful time to uh to visit israel if you 're not familiar with the uh the climate
3: yeah.
2: um, and they decided a week before the biggest event of their career of their uh, nation because the expectations are so high from the argentinian uh, national team not to show up that's that 's the big story I think. It's it's somewhat understandable So you don't
1: think, you know, maybe it was uh, You know, the death threats
3: Or anything else that had anything to do with it Nobody pays attention to the facts It's always like that They don't pay attention to the facts Mm. I mean, those who hate Mary Regev Well, why did she have to put it in in Jerusalem In Haifa, was okay Of course not The BDS and the Palestinians Didn't want this to happen Because they understood this is a big win for Israel So everybody pinches the right facts that he would like to pinch, and then focuses on that. Basically, I believe that if you have one one artist, it's about him or her. If you have a, if you have a, a group of, of players and their families are threatened, it's quite understandable that they don't want to come. Yes, it is a win for the Palestinians. It doesn't really matter whether we thought... We we'll go to Jerusalem, or not. but one thing I would like to mm. to to point, to point here: this is good that that has happened because we are looking forward to the Eurovision contest within a year, and then the same question will be there. So let us learn what we can learn from this event in order to make right that we'll have the Eurovision contest next year.
1: So okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the Eurovision contest and and kind of. You know what? What do you, how do you think this might uh, uh, you know affect that in the future?
4: Well, I think uh, whenever these kind of things happen, um, it sets um, let's say a tendency for the next year because this was a huge international event. It was and people were excited about it, and now that it's been canceled and. They, they brought terror and fear to something like sports, to something, to um, a cultural exchange, because it wasn't even a competition. It was a, about a friendly match. How can you, uh, then you're gonna have next year Eurovision with all these different countries coming yeah, to Israel. It's also supposed to be friendly. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, a, but at the end of the day, it's a competition that legitimized the state of Israel, also. Right. so it's nice to have it here. I right. think the
5: problem is that, um, like, the, what BDS did right now, mm. what they achieved, what they claim they achieved, is something that encourages them to do it again, to try to do it again. So why wouldn't we expect this to happen for Eurovision mm. then? And why couldn't the Israeli government find a way to avoid this beforehand? So, sure. as he said, I think this is a way but to so learn for
3: why, why to avoid? I mean, why should we, why should we back, back, back ourselves? In a situation that somebody doesn't like it, the BDS can be encouraged by what has happened. But anyhow, they want us out of this building in the sea. So I, I don't. I'm not sure well, that so the right way is always to say, "Okay, let, let's let's play it safe. Let's not not bring uh, the revision, or whatever." But but
1: I believe that you actually did touch upon something which a lot of people are are arguing that the event was politicized beyond what. It should have been here in Israel, either by you know, Israeli leaders or by Palestinian ones. So the moving to Jerusalem, it, it, was, it could be construed as a, uh, as a political move, couldn't
2: it? I, I disagree. I think uh, a huge sporting event had, ha- had happened here, like, what, three weeks ago? The Giro, d'Italia. Italia? Mm-hmm. It was here, started at Jerusalem. It well, had- there, was,
1: there were allegations of that oh, being yes. politicized as well, but with, it, it with it's the
2: still- flyers being recalled. And- y- yet again, it was still conducted flawlessly... Uh, no security uh, measures. Um, I mean, security uh, did their job
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, accordingly. Everything went smooth and nice. And again, I'm, I'm taking you back to the beginning of the conversation. It's this week, these last two weeks that are a bit warm in terms of, uh, of uh, political uh, tension. That's the main reason for the, the Argentinian uh, national team not to show up here. The rest I, is... You know, I do
5: think that... The moving the game to Jerusalem had a saying on that because, the, like we reported it before, like the BDS movement that started this campaign to not let, like to ask Argentinian team not to come here like long before, right when mm-hmm. the game was announced. Right. So in mm-hmm. the beginning, they said we're coming. They said doesn't matter, we're gonna go. Mm-hmm. They weren't even afraid of the threats that because they got they got threats before this. Right. Mm-hmm. So. The fact of moving the embassy the embassy sorry the fact of moving the game right after the embassy move, I think it is a political statement in in a way
4: the timing of that political statement I think that was the main issue because if you look back into the vds thing uh, it's it's always around for every artist that wants to come here to play, they always mm-hmm. encourage people not to come here because of this right. and i think uh in this case, I think it was a it, it was a, a wrong move I would call it like, I would call it like that because it's like it was adding fuel to the fire of this last couple of weeks so okay
1: so coming off of that I'd like to go back to you Benny. Uh, just it, it, threatening players to get them to do what you want is, that, is this like a proof of concept after this is that, are we going to see a lot more of that in, in, things, in events that Israel is involved in or in
3: general? Yes, of course, it has happened, it will happen. Everything is politicized. Nothing is pure, nothing is really art, or game of soccer, or game of... Everything is politicized, we have to understand that. And not only in Israel. I mean, people don't go to the United States because of Trump, or because they like Trump, or Putin, or because they like Putin, whatever. The whole thing is always politicized, and of course, each one of the parties would like to 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 advance more. So, if threatening will help, okay, let's uh, start more threatening. But will the threatening will really influence those who would like to come? I'm not sure.
2: Yeah.
3: political uh, parties will
2: jump on the bandwagon of of each and every case. But the fact is that uh, some some let's say music artists decided to show up and perform in Israel, and some didn't. You know, sure. so so it it has been like this and will continue this specific event of not having the game of Argentinian national team in Israel is one of the events. It doesn't say anything, in my opinion, about the next one.
1: All right. And on that note, we will uh, have to end it and move on to our next topic. So. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu continues his European tour today after meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron in Paris. Netanyahu is on a mission to rally European leaders to follow President Trump's example and drop the JCPOA nuclear deal with Iran. But European leaders have reaffirmed that they are committed to staying in the deal. At best, it sounds like Netanyahu may hope only to sway Europe on certain deal points, such as stipulations on ballistic missiles. There may be no bigger public proponent of the deal right now than President Macron. Netanyahu arrived in Paris yesterday for his meeting, flanked by protesters on the Champ Élysées. Though Macron concedes that Iran's nuclear program is a clear and volatile threat, he argues that the current deal, while not perfect, is the only thing working to delay Iran's nuclear capabilities. Donc uh,
6: le JCPOA n'est pas suffisant. Je suis tout à fait d'accord. Mais il est mieux que ce qu'on avait avant. Et d'ailleurs, les services israéliens l'ont bien montré. Donc, pour ma part, je considère que ça veut dire qu'il y a une montée de la tension réciproque. Et moi, j'invite tout le monde à stabiliser la situation et à ne pas céder à cette escalade. Parce qu'elle ne mènerait qu'à une chose, le conflit. But for Prime
1: Minister Netanyahu, Macron's position may be moot. Netanyahu argues that the new path of economic sanctions taken by the Trump administration will cause a financial meltdown for the regime and ultimately topple Iranian leadership. Many believe this is the true end game Israel is seeking, and why Israel has lobbied against the deal from the beginning. Uh, I didn't ask
3: France to withdraw from the JCPOA because I think the JCPOA is basically going to be dissolved by uh, the weight of economic forces. But I think that uh, there are two possibilities. Either Iran dismantles its nuclear activities unilaterally under this pressure, or there may be in the future negotiations for a better better deal. Uh, Either one uh, would be good if the result is that Iran doesn't have a nuclear weapon. My interest is not this or that agreement. My interest is to make sure that Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons." Other analysts predict that
1: Israel may hope the deal collapses, forcing Iran to continue its nuclear program and giving Israel the go-ahead to launch a preemptive war. In an increasingly popular and effective trend, Palestinians from Gaza are regularly flying homemade kites over the border and dropping firebombs on Israeli soil. Combined with the summer heat, these incendiary kite attacks have erupted into massive fires that have engulfed over 2,000 acres of Israeli fields and tens of thousands of acres of nature reserves. The government estimates that some $2.5 million worth of agriculture alone has been burnt to ash. Firefighters near the Gaza border have been working overtime lately to calm the deadly flames. And Though the fires have not claimed any casualties so far, this is clearly no laughing matter. This problem now stands as one of the biggest on-the-ground threats to Israel's national security. For Palestinians, this homemade workaround is a clever alternative to Israel's use of deadly force against rioters on the Gaza border, a homemade terror attack of sorts that only costs a few dollars and
7: cents.
1: But Israeli leaders are quickly understanding the full scale of this threat. Public Security Minister Gilad Erdan believes IDF snipers should actually be able to shoot kite flyers on site. Other government leaders are hoping civilian drone flyers may be a more peaceful way to cut the strings of violence, but speculate that deadly force may indeed be the final line of
3: defense. We will overcome this problem with, uh, I would say, efforts in the intelligent and the and operational and the technological side, it will be over this way or another.
1: Proponents of medical cannabis have long petitioned that the plant is not only harmless, but holds immense promise as a clinical drug, while well, one Israeli man has now quite literally put his money where his mouth is. During an open Knesset Health Committee hearing to discuss medical cannabis, an Israeli man recited a short blessing, then proceeded to chug a whole bottle of cannabis oil in front of the entire room. The man, who says he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder from his army service, attended the meeting to petition lawmakers to legalize cannabis. To prove his point, he pulled out a bottle of what seems to be Avidekel cannabis oil, considered to be among the strongest concentrations of medical cannabis around. After a short blessing, he chugged the entire bottle. Security guards then attempted to restrain him, but not before he downed a second bottle of the cannabis oil concentrate. He then leaped over the table, temporarily escaping capture. You can even hear scattered applause for the man's demonstration in the background of video footage taken at the meeting. Now, while this demonstration may be unorthodox, support for the legalization of cannabis has been surging in Israel. The country is a world leader in pioneering incredible medical breakthroughs from cannabis and has developed treatments for an array of diseases including cancer, Alzheimer's, MS, Parkinson's, and Crohn's disease. This is largely thanks to the government's lifting and decriminalizing of cannabis some years ago, giving medical experts the green light to explore the plant's medicinal benefits. Plans to legalize the export of medical cannabis abroad would explode this knowledge into a massive new industry for Israel, but the first major wave of exports to the United States were recently frozen by Prime Minister Netanyahu at the apparent request of United States President Trump, whose administration still largely condemns cannabis. Israel holds one of the highest per capita rates of medical cannabis users in the world, and for now it's still unclear if or when a full-scale legalization is still in the cards. (laughs) this next story is both a bit concerning and when you think about it, adorably hilarious. A little girl who cared so much for her brother that she replaced his batteries when they ran out. Just like her toys. Makes sense, no? ILTV's Manuel Kadosh has the details. Thank you so much for coming in, Manuel.
0: Thank you. First of all, I just have to say, uh, when you were a little kid, what did you do when your toys, you know, ran out of battery? Oh, you just throw them away. Okay, no, so I'm just, I'm I, exactly. So I had two, two different options. One was to A, hit the toy as hard as possible on something and hopefully it works again, or two, give it to my mom and ask her to change the battery. So one little girl, very young girl, they didn't specify the age um, in the (laughs) report, she decided to replace her brother's batteries and place a battery, a button battery in his nostrils because he was taking a nap, she was very concerned that he had ran out of battery and that he was not going to wake up, so she took the liberty of I mean, recharging him. Well,
1: listen, I mean, it makes sense. He he wasn't moving. He was
0: taking he ran, he ran
1: out of batteries and she wanted to fix him.
0: Exactly. So, that's what she, you know, obviously thought she was helping him out. She right. clearly cares about her brother a yeah. lot. The parents obviously ran him straight to the hospital yeah, to make sure twist everything was fine. Thankfully, the doctor said uh, everything was okay, and they were very, very grateful that he didn't, you know, inhale it a little further or swallow it or do right. something that you know could cause it to go into his system. Because these types of batteries, specifically button batteries, are super dangerous and they can emit so many different chemicals even when they're not like in circuit yes. or something like that when they're not really working.
1: Yeah, they just kind of leach off. Exactly,
0: they can have a lot of, of a lot of harmful benefits and um, effects. <laughs> well, yeah, ben- yeah, yeah, effects, consequences. a lot, of, exactly, consequences. a lot of consequences. She thought it would be beneficial for him, you know, to recharge charge a little yes. bit that wasn't the case
1: well, i um, mean i'm sure her parents got you know a lot of adrenaline they got the charge out of this i think
0: story. they really did get the charge but, uh, and it yeah. was very important for the doctors to mention that you know it's summer vacation now parents really need to be looking out for what their they're kids not, are doing they're not in school they're, they're not, not in school yeah, they're so they're bored watching. you could say and they're playing around with things so you have to really be careful
1: oh yeah all right well let this be a lesson i yes. suppose to all parents and future parents definitely kids and batteries <laughs> and batteries all right thank you manuel thank you Speaking of startups and services, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm on a site or an app, and I can't get clear answers to my questions. You have to contact some customer service reps or send emails, and who knows when or even if you'll get a response. So, well, my next guests are trying to change all of that, and joining me in the studio now with more is product manager Zoar Franco and VP of sales Eli Renert from KMS Lighthouse. Thank you both for coming in today.
6: Thanks for inviting. So, Eli, I'll start with you. You know, what does what does the company do exactly? So, first of all, the name is Lighthouse. We are a knowledge-based system. Basically, that is transforming the way businesses interact with customers. Okay. So, for example, if an end customers want to send an email, write a send a chat, communicate via over the phone, by the end of the game, um, businesses want a unified message to go from the business to the end customer. You know, for a service, for you know, a sport of sales, basically okay. any type of interaction. So. Behind the scene, you have a knowledge repository that streamlines uh, consistent and accurate answers to, to customers. That's it all about.
7: OK, so how like how did you go about developing this? So basically, we researched the market first, understanding what exactly do people need, what do customers need, right? So once we understand what the end user, which is the customer of our customer, mm-hmm. Needs, but once we know that, we can provide a better solution to our customers. So, for example, one of the products that we're working currently is basically connecting not only uh, humans to answer the, the questions they're getting from customers, but also connecting bots, connecting voice okay. assistants. So, basically, get a very much unified answer from all platforms, basically, a real omni channel. Uh, I would say okay. the key factor for that is research and research. And, and how much,
1: you know, because this sounds like you're using artificial intelligence and, and, you know, all sorts of really complex algorithms to make this happen seamlessly. Yeah. So, you know, how, I guess the question, you know, w- 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 there are a lot of sites similar to that or products similar to that. So where, w- what's special about the Lighthouse exactly?
7: So basically, to be honest, there are not a lot of products out oh, there similar to us. Mm-hmm. Oh. So what we're doing, basically, we're providing our customers to provide their customers their internal Google. So we're not only providing the smart solution of AI, we're also providing a smart search within the organization. So basically, wow. if a user would go go to, uh, to the website of, of the company and ask a question live, he would get an answer from a live representative that uses our system. If you ask the chatbot on the Facebook uh, channel, right. for example, he would get the same answer okay. because it uses the same smart search that the human uses in the contact center. So,
6: final question: You know, when, where, where, and when is this available, or will it be? Well, it's, it's actually not? it's already available for certain years. Uh, dozens wow. of organizations in Israel in the world that are using the platform, and we just getting expanding in terms of uh, possibilities, in terms of integration, in terms of unified mm. desktop for. Uh, for the representatives and for employees, and uh, the future is ahead of us, for sure. Well, thank you both very much for coming in uh, and telling us about the Lighthouse. It looks
1: amazing, and uh, I look forward to getting answers faster, So so thank you
6: for having us. Thank you. All
1: right, now if you're watching this on an empty stomach right now, consider this your final warning before I begin this next story. A Jewish community in Atlanta has just broken a Guinness World Record that I didn't even know existed. They've just made an enormous Israeli flag using roughly 117,000 blue and white cookies, shattering the previous record holder in Pakistan by nearly 32%. It's a lot of dough. The massive display of baked edibles spread across some 3,224 square feet of Congregation Beth Jacob in Atlanta's Heritage Hall. The community tackled this massive confectionery feat to commemorate Israel's 70th birthday, But the effort isn't just a world-record-setting affair. It's also a fundraiser for tons of services and projects in Israel. Sponsors pay $10 per cookie, and all the money goes towards Cookies for Israel. Cookies for Israel then distributes the funds to United Hatzalah, an organization which does emergency medical services in Israel, the One Family Fund, which supports victims of terror, and to the Jewish Agency's Partnership Together program. This army of cookies itself is one big charitable effort as well, though. Now that Guinness has officially declared the flag a world record breaker, all the cookies have been donated to charities all over Georgia so that they can finally be eaten. If they're half as tasty as they look, I'd say this is one sweet deal. The Hebrew Word of the Day is brought to you by IDC Samrul Pan. Open to everyone. Now for our Hebrew word of the day, a Jewish community in Atlanta just broke a Guinness world record by making an Israeli flag out of over 117,000 delicious cookies. And that's why today's word is dedicated to that all-time favorite dessert, the or the, or in Hebrew, the cookie. In the wise words of Jerry Seinfeld, if people would only look to the ugia or the cookie, all our problems would be solved. That was a terrible impression. But okay, maybe that's a bit hyperbolic. But I will admit, if there's anything that comes close to pure bliss, it's got to be a warm, delicious ugia fresh out of the oven. And everyone's got their favorite type of ugia, of course. There's the classic Oreo ugia or the slightly more decadent macadamia nut ugia. As for healthy uggiot or cookies, like the Kitsilano, I personally don't care much for them, but hey, it's a free country. Now, if you ask me, nothing beats my grandmother's peanut butter cup uggiot. Nothing. Now let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should be clear to partly cloudy with a light breeze and a low of 72 or 22 degrees Celsius. Then tomorrow you can expect clear and sunny skies with a slight rise in temperatures to a high of 87 or 31 degrees Celsius.